0: Welcome to Machine Learning. This is David Nishimoto. Um, Yesterday I continued to work with uh, k means clustering and uh, um, it was real interesting. I was able to uh, take uh, an image and uh, um, I converted it into RGB arrays, and then I uh, um, was able to uh, normalize the data, and then I ran uh, VQ on it to get the labels, and then once I had the labels, uh, I was able to plot the distortion that the k-means cluster produced and i was able to see um, an elbow now the elbow gives you a rough approximation of the number of clusters that you need for your k-means and uh, uh and, the, and it was uh i had three different uh, colors in there i had three, three uh, apples. So it had a yellow, a green apple and a red apple. And what was interesting with that is that the partitioning and the, uh, the elbow indicated that, uh, that it it should have three clusters. And so then I was able to, uh, then do a a seaborne line plot and see that, uh, that the uh, results were three three uh, clusters. That's kind of hopeful to me because uh, you know I could convert other things into uh, arrays, and then I can feed those arrays as a data frame into the K-means, and then see how it classifies the data. And so what, we were, what you're really looking for is segmentation uh, that is not easily known because of uh, possibly its relationship to other other features. And uh, that is kind of the power of the neural net, is that it can discover those correlations. Um, it reminds me, Of when I was doing some programming, statistical programming, and uh, I was trying to solve for two unknowns using numerical methods, and one of the and and that's basically a form of curve fitting. So what you're working to do is get the uh, the data into a general form of a polynomial equation, and then make predictions into the future using uh, future x and y values based on the polynomial equation that curve fits using a least square algorithm, which is the basis behind the polytrand algorithm that's used to curve fit uh, using arrays in Python. And I used that on the COVID-19 predictor to look at percent change and uh, to see which way the percent change was moving. So I put a linear regressor on it and uh, and then I also did a polygon trend to see if the trend was uh, moving down or up in the area I live in. That gives me kind of an idea if the systems are getting overrun or if there's emerging trends that are starting to happen. And I'm only looking 10 days out into the future. Um, and again, that's kind of like the same problem of self-driving cars is uh, that they have to be looking a certain number of data units into the future and uh, making uh, predictions on, on the path that the vehicle is going to travel. Um, and so that some of the things that might af- affect that decision or affect that equation could be uh, parked cars on the side of the road, uh, a pedestrian that happens to walk out, um, jaywalk across the road, where the car needs to either uh, try to avoid uh, the uh, pedestrian. Another case could be a bicyclist riding along the side of the road uh, where it needs to grab it, uh, have kind of a a force field around that that individual so it doesn't uh, uh, cause impact. And uh, there could be some strange things like uh, uh, there could be objects on the road uh, that have been dropped like ladders or tools or, or things of that nature where the machine uh, detects those objects by object recognition CNN networks and then uh, calculates new polynomial equations to avoid collision and uh, and that's kind of what you're um, doing with data too is you're taking uh, XY data you can plot that on your scatter plot and you uh, look to see if there's any general trends. Um, You can also put it into hierarchical clusters. You can use the F cluster. And uh, um, the hierarchy works uh, really well. It works just like the k-means, but the k-means is actually faster. That's why it's preferred with larger data sets. And uh, one other tool that's interesting to use uh, to analyze for the number, how many clusters you're gonna need in the k-means algorithm is to use a a dendrogram. And the first time I looked at dendrograms, uh, I was reading a book on uh, data science for business, and he introduced the dendrogram and what it does is it, it has uh, the it has an x and y coordinate on the, the uh, chart and the y coordinate represents the distance to its neighboring cluster so you can see kind of the centroid effect of the clustering in the uh, diagram so if you took a horizontal line and you moved down vertically, the intersections would suggest the number of clusters uh, that exist. And again, um, you can examine the proximity of those uh, clusters in the hierarchy. And so at the base, you should have uh, objects that are, are close to each other. And uh, when you when you put in the the K means, you you get a distortion, and what the distortion uh, tuple the value that is returned indicates is um, it's it's telling the distance of the sum error between the centroid and the object, and so uh, your distortions should be. Uh, a good indicator of whether or not you have the right number of clusters. And there's also different methods in the hierarchy that I've talked about that you can use um, in your analysis. So in one case, you might use a a hierarchy and see if you can get segmentation to occur. And in another, you might use K-Means cluster. And... uh, And what they say is that the k-means cluster is is used, basically, to discover trends in the data. Um, And uh, so it's part of this unsupervised learning. Uh, You can feed in a large number of features, and and then you can see if you can find correlation in the data that might be useful. I want to switch gears just a little bit now. We'll get off clusters and uh, talk a little bit about uh, utilities, um, and I'm talking about uh, public electrical utilities, gas utilities. One of those, uh, one of the things i observed in in uh, looking at the un- unemployment trends, you know, we're having that's uh, uh, starting to catch my attention, and uh, you can go to the. Bureau labor and and, uh, statistics, and you can get a uh, either download the whole data set from 1940, which is massive, or you can uh, use an API um, and get the data, labor data, um, by passing in different uh, keys and then it'll return back to you a JSON stream. Uh, you're required to register. And there's a couple of, uh, sites that have Python code that shows how to run queries using the API. Once you have the API, then you can start doing some analysis. And I think that that's kind of the new trend for the internet is that, you know, you can get your data source, and uh, then you can use Python to analyze and pandas to analyze the data, and get it grouped in the um, uh, manner that's interesting to you to ask certain questions about trend. And uh, then use uh, Matplotlib or Seaborn to visualize your data and then use the different classifiers to draw conclusions or predictions about the data. So again, the whole point of machine learning and AI is um, to answer business questions. And so they don't do really well with complex abstractions, but they do well in finding correlation between multiple variables. And in a way, things in machine learning are still very functionally oriented. You have to know a lot about the parameters and you also need to know the classifiers and the limitations of what they what they do well and what they don't do well. And so um, AI is starting to look like Set of networks within networks. So you have maybe a high-level network, and, and underneath that you have, in the hierarchy, you have um, groups of other networks that are being routed with certain data, and uh, making they are making predictions, and those and that data may be feeding back into higher nodes on the network, and uh, being passed along the pipeline. So there's, again, kind of going back to uh, the way the mind works is that we have higher level nodes that are taking information from lower level nodes, and then creating uh, meaning on it. So in the case of a neural net, Uh, with classification, where it's looking at an image in the first layer it's looking at things that are simply identifiable like um, a line or a color and then in the secondary uh, layers it's uh, converting those lines and colors to labels like a recognizable face, a cat, a dog, or uh, a certain type of signal that is labeled, and then it uh, is outputting uh, that label. And uh, those, and that, um, that type of structure is really important. So going back to um, why public utilities I think are using machine learning and AI is because of uh, risk you know, we have the the power grid is old uh, a lot of the infrastructure in the grid uh, hasn't been modernized and it's highly interconnectable and so there's lots of risk associated with the power grid so one article I was reading yesterday, talked about how, uh, It's it's proving to be somewhat useful where they can now you know, have uh, staff available when the, the weather is changing and uh, for organizing teams to go out and make repairs on power lines that are down. Another area that they're using uh, machine learning is making uh, predictions on maintenance. So. Where equipment could be breaking down due to uh, lack of maintenance scheduling, and so they're looking at things like mean time between failure and uh, possible points that could fail, and doing the repairs and check, checking up and, uh, on those pieces of equipment that could possibly uh, fail. And uh, another area that they're using uh, AI um, is uh, power outages. So you know, predicting, maybe historically, there's a, a cycle of power outages due to certain conditions. And uh, they, they record all that data historically, and then they're feeding into that network existing conditions, and if those probabilities are getting close to the possibility of outages, then uh, uh, they're watching, you know, the AI is making predictions of the the probability of power outages. So those are some things, I think, in the utility companies that they're looking. And, uh, you know, it makes you then ask the question, is AI and machine learning being used largely for assessing risk? Not so much uh, improving design, uh, whereas you know we've talked in the past where genetic algorithms have been applied to uh, different structures, engineering structures, force where they've analyzed different forces and uh, in attempt to maximize uh, for the handling of that force and reduce the amount of material uh, and cost. the the machine has adapted and built different designs that are organic in look but perform better than uh, existing conventional designs so we've seen some of that where you know ai is is looking at a lot of different uh, factors in its uh, its, uh, design but uh, one that i think that uh, ai is really useful in is the prediction of risk and uh, one that one course that I'm looking I'm anxious to study is uh, on uh, budgets and uh, using uh, AI to predict whether or not uh, there's going to be slippage on budgets so budgets have three components they have resource they have uh, so you have personnel you have time and you have dollars so your your skill. You have certain people that can do the work. You have a certain amount of money that's been allocated to complete that work, and uh, you have a certain amount of time. And when I took uh, some project management courses years ago, uh, one of the things that they liked to do was take existing budgets and then feed that into a set of equations and make a prediction whether or not the budget would be over cost or under cost. And so at any point you would look at, uh, were you on schedule, uh, were, you on, were you running over budget or under budget, and then using uh, a simple equation make a prediction uh, of whether you're going to be over budget or over time. And, uh, and those were some of the things that I thought were kind of interesting about that course so there was uh, the concept of lead and lag and uh, if you were lagging then that means you were behind schedule if you are leading you were ahead of schedule but there's a lot of things that affect budget one is that uh, uh, improper planning that that uh, not all of the tasks are, were properly defined and the measurement of those tasks um, was not correct. And I found that when I was doing some of that project management when I went to ask different developers you know, where they were in their status, um, it kind of became a little bit of micromanagement, and they didn't like it. Because they were working on other things too, besides just my project, and uh, and so it depend on the priority, and it kind of frustrated me when my stuff didn't get done. And so I, I kind of I devised this idea that instead of me micromanaging them, that I would I wrote some software where uh, they could input into the software what they got done for the week, and then I could see. How what they were doing was impacting my workload, and uh, that w- that seemed to be a, a more efficient way, almost like a self-service way of doing project management versus competing for that resource. Because let the resources figure out what they can do, what they need, what their priorities are, and uh, you know it was always kind of frustrating when another project manager needed a resource, and then he tapped into your resource, and uh, then that would cause your schedule to slip, and that, that performance slippage then uh, would uh, put you behind schedule. So what you hopefully have is you have resources that are free, and uh, you can utilize them. But when you're running at a high capacity usage of your resource, then a lot of times budgets um, become very frustrating to manage. And especially when you're dealing with Microsoft Project, that was a real nightmare. You know, to always be constantly adjusting uh, hours, actual hours, actual amounts, things like that. I just, I'd rather, I'd rather, Built the system. I built another system where I could uh, have that all calculated automatically. Use a database. Use a, a ASP to do the calculations, and then just let the programmer input his uh, time, and uh, it would automatically roll up the daily work into a task, and from a task to Milestone and for milestones into the final project, then you could look at then you could look at uh, your budgets and actions. And at that point, once you get your data formed into a level that can be aggregated, uh, at that point you could then do some linear regression. Uh, you could maybe even use uh, a G Boost to see if the machine learning thinks you're in an upward trend and. Uh, Maybe even uh, do some clustering to figure out which projects are in the uh, three different groups, uh, ahead of schedule, on schedule, or behind schedule, and maybe even have it identify. um, If you are dealing with a very complex structure with lots of people, maybe identify um, areas that are need to be looked at that are falling behind that are impacting the overall system, and that would that would be interesting to do because sometimes, like when you're you have processes, you have concurrent processes running, and then you have sequential processes. Uh, in concurrent processes, they can you have simultaneous. Performance of those tasks, and though they get done, they're not dependent on each other. But for example, in construction you might have uh, certain phases that have to occur before you can proceed to the next phase. And so you know you're constantly measuring how much work has been completed against what is remaining, and then at what phase you're at. So uh, at certain phases, you've got to bring in different people, different skill sets, and uh, they need to get their work done. And then the next group can come in and do their work. And uh, you know, it's going to be challenging in the sense that it's not just about efficiency and getting people in, because again, we go back to that resource problem where if you have lots of resource then you don't have much competition for that resource but when you get uh, high utilization of resources where they're in a lot of demand then you have lots of competition and so how you secure that uh, skill to be able to either be substitutable in other words you can find a, another group or another team to do the work on demand uh, would all be dependent on a couple of things, the quality of the work, how, how well do those subcontractors do that work, and uh, and also uh, the reputation. Maybe there's one group of subcontractors preferred because of the performance to do that work. And, uh, and then you're want to keep your target goal is to get quality high and keep your customer satisfied and so depending on how those subcontractors perform will determine uh, outcomes those are some things to consider when you're balancing budgets it's not just about the raw numbers of uh, budgets versus actuals but the you know the projections can kind of help you to understand if yep. if there's going to be a problem, um, and you know it, it's different, difficult too sometimes when you when you say okay we have we have project slippage to come back and uh, and and make a you know a quantifiable measurement of how that that slippage is affecting you. Uh, you know, like a one or two percent slippage may not be something that alarms you, but if maybe if it gets up to the twenty-five to thirty percent slippage, uh, maybe that's something that then you evaluate and look at root causes of why that's occurring, and and uh, try to restructure so that you can improve performance. So in that in that sense, I would say budgets are useful in that if they can help. Uh, bring attention to the problem where the action is occurring. Um, And uh, I know when I've worked in other companies before, uh, I've I've been able to use budgets and actuals and bring that down to the supervisor where the action was occurring. And at first they did not like looking at that data, uh, mainly because it It uh, required them to, you know, discipline themselves to look at the data, to see what their expenses were, uh, where they were in their budgets and uh, cycles, and to see if, you know, how they were performing. And their evaluations as supervisors were based on their performance. And so you would think that this would have been something that would have been uh, well-received, but it was at first was, you know, please turn that off. We don't want to see that. But as the impacts on the company were realized, as the people who were doing the actions were were realizing how they were doing on their budgets and they were looking closer at them, uh, that it affected their behavior.